fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try to Hey everybody and welcome to the Fantasy Fullback Dive brought to you by the good people at the Rotor Street Journal. We're your lead blocker to fantasy glory. We're paving the way to fantasy excellence. We're making all your football related fantasies come true and we're coming at you again in the middle of the day. So we're sharp as tacks. It's one o'clock on a Wednesday. Uh, As promised, our second show uh, breaking down a division hit the AFC East yesterday. Um, Not put that up in pod yet, but it is on YouTube. I'm pretty sure. Um, and AFC North is coming at you today. I'm your host, Nat the Truth Jones. With me, as always, the Wolf of Roto Street himself. I was pretty excited after the AFC East, um, and I was like, ah, I might be downhill from here. This this division's actually uh, fairly interesting as well. Some of the yeah, really fun, really interesting division, and just especially real football wise. The, the Steelers might not be the most fun fantasy team, but they always finish every single year under Mike Tomlin above 500. And then if Watson does rebound, big if there, Brown suddenly more competitive. And, you know, you got at the top there, the the Bengals, Ravens look more interesting on offense so far. We're going to definitely spend a lot of time on them in this projection series, talking about Todd Munkin and what he's going to bring to the table. I think this division is very fun. I can't, it's a tough one to project and predict. I do think the Bengals remain the, the creme de la creme in this one and really in the whole NFL, but they got a lot of challenges for the throne that could really contend this year. So I'm excited. Yeah, um, we're going to hit them like we talked before the show. Um, this is going to be a semi-Baltimore-heavy show. We usually go 10 minutes. We try to go about 10 minutes per team. Don't be surprised. I think we're going to kick off with Baltimore because of all the changes and stuff that are in place. Um, and don't be surprised if the first one runs a little over 10 minutes. You remember our format from yesterday, um, the projections and, and the changes and stuff like that. So we, we'd love feedback on that. For those of you that are, are watching, uh, it seemed like it came off pretty well to me. Um, but we are always open to listening to the Wolf Pack, um, positive and negative stuff. So let's Absolutely, kick it off. Yeah. Let's go with um, things clearly. I'll, I'll try to zoom in like I was doing yesterday as I move in through things and show you some of the research I've done. But if things aren't popping up clear or questions arise, let us know in the comments. Of course, of course, any questions you have not related to projections, I'm happy to answer as well. Whether it's after the stream in the, the comments on the video or if it is uh, during the live show, I'll be happy to answer those as well. And of course. As you're watching, if you enjoy what you're hearing, that thumbs up really does help us get out there and get to more people. So please do consider hitting that for us if you're enjoying the show. Yeah, and lastly, uh, uh, on the interface part of it, I'm going to throw the banners up here, but I'm not going to keep them on the screen. Yeah, um, don't get in the way. <laughs> get as, as much of a look at this as possible. You ready? Perfect. All right, let's, let's do, do it. it. All let's right. start with Baltimore, huh? Yeah, Baltimore, big changes, um, you know, new play callers. Uh, Lamar Jackson did his, his song and dance, um, you know, and still got his money, and he's back, and uh, we're going to see what happens. They signed OBJ, right? Yeah, they did sign OBJ. They drafted Zay Flowers. They drafted Rashad Bateman, and they've made a huge change at offensive coordinator. So we have a ton of changes to break into, as you were getting at. This is going to be the hardest one to break down uh, because it is a lot of speculation what's going to happen how are all his talent going to mix and merge into Todd Munkin's system? So I say we just dive right in. He's I love Todd Munkin. I, I'm a huge believer in this guy. I think he's definitely acquired a lot of the interesting pieces he's going to need to deploy a, that air raid style, bomb it out attack, which is 
Very uncommon for the Ravens. As you can see here, I projected this team for 590 pass attempts compared to 475 rush attempts. That is well a huge, substantial jump. I'll just go to the team level here down in the research here. That would be a significant jump. They have not uh, thrown it uh, nearly that much. Only one other time, 635 in 2021. But Marvis hurt for a lot of that. That was just a mess of a year. But otherwise, as you can see, 440, 430, 503. It has been just a sluggish. Greg Roman even used the word medieval yeah. to describe his offense, how he wanted to do it. He wanted to be medieval and run it down your throat. That's the opposite of Todd Munking. Already in early project uh, pra practices, and granted, I know their practice reports. I understand this is not real football, but everybody's talking about how much of a faster pace the offense is going at, how he's coming out there bringing in energy that they never have had under Greg Roman, and just in general, how often they're airing it out. Remember, he's ranked 16th, 3rd, 4th, and 19th in pass attempts. We covered that on the quarterback yeah. ranking show, on the uh, tight end ranking show. Anytime we're talking about anything Ravens related, I want to reiterate that this guy, Todd Munkin, has definitely been much pass happier, happier compared to Greg Roman. 32nd, 32nd, 9th, and 28th in pass attempts across his four years calling the plays here in Baltimore. And that's historic with all of his trends in the 49ers, wherever he's been. He loves to just run the damn ball, slow the clock down, play into your defense. The opposite is true of Todd Munkin. Uh, they, they were the fourth slowest pace last year. The Baltimore Ravens were. They were significantly below league average in plays run. I think they're going to definitely, at minimum, hit that middle bar in pass attempts and in plays run and maybe even pick it up uh, more than that. Lamar Jackson already saying, I love this offense. It's like a college feel to it. And speaking of college, Todd Munkin has been at the college over the last two years with the Georgia Bulldogs, the best offense in the league the past two seasons, 501 yards last year, 40.7 points per game last year as well. And the offense he was orchestrating, I get that it's college football, but it's also the highest level as well that he had some great success with. So I expect this to be more than league average plays, definitely more pass happy than we've come to uh, expect from this Ravens team. Let's kind of talk about how that will trickle down into these players. Of course, it all starts at the top. Jackson and I've been off the guy for pretty much his entire career. I missed that one huge MVP season. I didn't fully buy into it and really haven't been hurt by not buying back into that right. across the last three seasons. I'm ready to get back in though. I, I really do like Lamar Jackson. I think this will be his best shot at coming close to those MVP levels again, given that yes, they've talked about how we'll run it less with him. We're going to more that often does lead to broken plays and the broken plays are often some of the biggest oh, yeah. running uh, plays for QBs when everybody else is deep downfield defending this air raid and suddenly he sees a lane. I can't wait to see what Lamar does with that. So, yes, I bumped down his overall rush attempts. Uh, he's been around 160, 170 in his career. We can even look uh, and get those exact numbers for you. So I bumped him down a little bit below what we've come to expect. I believe he's been at like 150 or so the last couple of years. Uh, and he's missed a few games there, too. So, yeah, after missing games, he was 111 last year, 133, 175. 175, 156. So yeah, I have him on the lower side, but I think that's just going to potentially even boost that yards per carry with those broken plays. Still think you're a good bet for 600 to 800 rushing yards, uh, about four to eight rushing touchdowns, depending on how many times he calls his number at the stripe there. So I definitely still see him being involved as a runner, even with a pass happier attack. In fact, I almost think it benefits him for that broken play narrative. Now, in addition to that for the run game, I do think J.K. Dobbins takes the lion's share of what's left. I project him for 44% of the shrinking ground pie, but that should be plenty for a guy that's averaged 
6.0 and 5.7 yards per pop. I think that goes down a little bit with more volume, but still I think 5.4 to 5.7 yards per carry. Very reasonable for J.K. Dobbins uh, within this offense that should generate just more space around for for everybody, including the backfield. So I think J.K. Dobbins will be in a good spot, assuming he can get healthy. When he came back last year, he really – he didn't look all that healthy. He didn't look incredibly with that. He has such good breakaway speed when he's fully ready to go. And yet he still averaged seven yards a pop. I had great vision, was finding the exact spots he needed to go. And then when he was trying to kick it into that next gear, he just wasn't hitting it. Now, assuming he can get that gear back with an offense, uh, you know, offseason to rehab and all that, I-, I could see Dobbins really, really thriving as the featured back in his last game in the playoffs. A nice 20 fantasy points, had a, you know five catches. 43 yards and a touchdown as well to show some good receiving involvement. And they did talk about how in, the, in these early practices, Munkin's been thrown to the running back a whole lot more. That was something that under Lamar Jackson, we hadn't really been seeing. So this is another outlier. I'm kind of projecting 53 targets for the running back. We haven't seen a running back top 45 under Lamar. Nobody had more than 33 catches in a Lamar Jackson led offense. So this would definitely be something different, but Early on, they're definitely thrown to the running backs often in practice. We've seen that in his Bucks and his Cleveland backfields. He liked throwing to the running backs a lot as well, Todd Munkin did. So a good receiver, J.K. Dobbins. It's not for a lack of ability they haven't been using him. Just schematically was not the thing Lamar would more often run it. when. And that's kind of the case with mobile QBs a lot too. They don't dump it off. They kind of run for the first down themselves. So that's where I see him. You know, Pretty solid overall season, around 1,300 total yards, around nine touchdowns and a big spike in catches would make J.K. Dobbins a very viable target in that round five, six range when you're looking for running backs. I haven't drafted a ton of them because I end up with a lot more Joe Mixon, and we'll get to him in our next team. I really, really like Joe Mixon at his price tag right now. Uh, But I still really do like Dobbins. So it's not a matter of not liking Dobbins. I just like players going around him a little bit more. Other than that, I know we talked about a bigger aerial pie here. And so that does benefit everybody. But you hinted at the top. Odell Beckham's now here. Zay Flowers, the first-round rookie, has been drafted. Rashad Bateman's back and healthy, another first-round investment at the receiver position. So I'm expecting this to be, yes, a bigger aerial pie, but also much more evenly distributed. I have still Mark Andrews at the top. If you look at, like, Munkin's past attacks, they've been much pass-happier, even than what I'm projecting here. You know, Jameis Winston leading the league in attempts and passing yards and feeding a ton of people. So we've seen, I I think, this best compares to the 2019 Bucks where there was Mike Evans, Chris Godwin as a sophomore, that Adam Humphreys who was killing it out of the slot for them back in the day. There's a throwback name for all you guys out there, Adam Humphreys. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and we saw Todd Monk in there distribute the rock fairly evenly, but he crossed all his years with the Bucks. Mike Evans was always at 136 or more targets. He kind of did have that alpha uh, there. We also then saw in that, that 2019 season – Rather, that was the 2018 season. Uh, 105 targets for Humphreys, 95 for Godwin. The tight ends combined for 97 targets themselves. I see something similar here where maybe it's Andrews at the tight end position playing that kind of Evans target hog role. We've seen Munkin craft his Georgia offenses around the tight end. I definitely could see him leading this team. As you guys can see here, uh, with 20% target share, 118 or so targets. And then the rest just kind of right all all around each other because I don't know which of these receivers – if any of them are truly going to separate from the rest, they're all really solid. I'd love every single one of them as a two and every single one kind of has that upside to be a one. If they are the one to step up, I more so picture this like a one, a one B one C situation where they're all 
pretty damn solid. I'll just draft whichever one's cheapest. And right now, that's Odell Beckham. And we're not talking, of course, about Nelson Aguilar here at wide receiver four. Yeah, I'm sure he's <laughs> Surely not talking about him, even though he apparently was the highlight player of camp. Fuck off. I'm not worried about that. But 17%, 16%, 16%, and 20%. As you can see, in years past, it was Mark Andrews, 25%. And so a much more evenly distributed pie here even though it's bigger that does kind of cap a little bit of the ceilings for these guys but i think you got a lot of potential value i guess odell beckham's looking, looking really good at, uh, in early camps as well according to rap report i wouldn't be shocked if he returned to that like rams form where he was looking like a beast uh for those final five games and into the super bowl Ooh. so either way i definitely all these moves suggest a must pass happier team uh, a little bit maybe less of Lamar's legs, but then the broken plays also contribute to that, those scrambles and a, a nice evenly distributed passing attack that I think really takes the next level. Now, if they don't get to that you know, bigger pie or Lamar doesn't have the arm to actually sustain these things, we could be in trouble. If it, I, I don't think there's going to be any real debate about how this will be pretty evenly distributed. Just a matter of how big is that pie? Is, is it Lamar able to sustain it? And, and right here, clearly I'm betting on that he will, but that's not a guarantee. It's the truth. What do you think of all this Ravens talk? Well, I mean, it, it, it's it's interesting. I, I, all this talk about like uh, I, I'm always dubious of anything coaches say, as you know, uh, and I'm dubious of most things players say. <laughs> to be honest with you, yeah. but uh, by all accounts, like the energy around the place is is improved. Um, I love how you described how they used to play as medieval because it was absolutely. I, I guess that you didn't coin that phrase, but I like that you brought that up. Their own um, offensive coordinator coined it for them, actually. Right, because they're so they're, they were such a boring team. Um, I'm staying away from. I'm staying away from Ravens who aren't Lamar Jacks or Lamar or maybe Mark Andrews. I mean, like I agree with how you assess the receivers. I didn't know how you were going to break them down, but to me, I was just like, I don't think any of these guys are going to stand out. And I've always been terrified of the Ravens running back situation. And despite all the changes, I don't really see any change in that. I know you like Dobbins at his price tag. And I mean, if I found myself in a situation where I, I needed an RB and I, may, I only had one and I got to the fourth, fifth round and he was there, maybe I'd grab him. But I'm not like excited about any of those guys. I'm more kind of, you know, excited to just like watch the Ravens for a few games this year uh, than I am in a fantasy sense about them. Um, you know, we, we crushed Lamar last year. And then, as I've said on previous podcasts, he branded up our ass for like three weeks. We're <laughs> real right. <laughs> right. But, but then we ended up being right about it. Absolutely. Um, so I don't know. Interesting assessment of, of the Ravens. I'm going to be interested to hear uh, at the end of the show where you put them in the AFC North, because I've got them solidly in a specific slot already. I know, um, I know where I have them for sure. Yeah, I do too. I know where I got them too. We're going to hit the Bengals next. Let's go to the, the even more exciting team than them. And then it gets a little ugly to the Browns and, and the Steelers, but there's definitely some fancy relevant product with both of them. So, yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. dive into these Bengals, huh? Love watching the Bengals. Love hearing about the Bengals. Um, yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on them. I'll tell you, I got some thoughts as well. Go ahead. Yeah, they'll be a little bit easier to break down just because it's Zach Taylor. It's pretty much all the same players, and I expect pretty much more of the same Within that, there have been some trends that I think are going a little under noticed right now, particularly involving Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. And so I want to kind of break that down and make sure it's clear that this is now a, a wide receiver one, wide receiver two situation. Yeah. No longer yeah. that 1A, 1B. We'll get there when we get to the how I expect this to be distributed. But at the team level, kind of more of the same. We typically see um, their coach, Zach Taylor, under the league average. You think of this high-powered 
massive attack. They actually run pretty slow. They like to take their time, bleed the clock, uh, and they they pretty consistently are 20 to 25 plays under the league average. And they are very also consistent with the fact that they're 60% pass, 40% run, just somewhere in that range, you know, give one or 2% points to one or the other. So that's what I projected at, right around, you know, 61% um, pass, 39% rush. Very, very much in line with what we've seen. I don't see any reason why it would be different this year, um, given the talent they all have. The, the differences might be in how this work is distributed, though. So we can start with the aerial pie. That's a little more interesting here uh, with our man, Joe Barrow. I have him jumping up pretty significantly in passing yards. I can show you down here. He's hovered right around 4,500 uh, his last two seasons in his, his only two healthy seasons so far, uh, Joe Barrow. And as you can see, you know, yeah, 44, 75, 46, uh, 11, 35, 34 touchdowns. So I do think those touchdowns stay relatively similar. I just expect a pretty big jump in overall pass yards, about 400 to 500 more this year as he gets better protection. The offensive line here is significantly improved. We've said that for a couple of years because really they just had nowhere to go up. They were bottom barrel a few seasons ago yeah. and they've continued to make big additions, but none are bigger than what they did with Orlando Brown, bringing him in the former Chiefs left tackle, Super Bowl winning left tackle of last year. He comes in an absolute anchor. And that was one of their strengths, actually. Jonah Williams there, first rounder, really not bad at all. Top half of the league left tackle, solid guy. But now you can kick him to the right because you got a top five tackle in the league here. Now another maybe top 10 tackle. And then Lael Collins, who was a pretty big disappointment, got hurt. But still a big body. Like maybe you can kick him into guard and be a mauling run blocker. If not, they you know they have other big depth pieces. Ted Karras at center did a really nice job coming over. I think it was Kappa from the the Bucks. Solid job overall. It really was just that right tackle, right guard situation that was really weak and, and caused a lot of duress on Joe Burrow. I think that's going to be much more secure this year and just lead to an uptick in how much time he has to throw and therefore how many yards per catch his receivers are getting. I expect that to go up alongside their their catch rate as well. So all those signs signs kind of align, and it's not necessarily he got a new player or is it another step forward. I just love Burrow. I think he's always been he's always going to be great. I just think now with a better line, the efficiency goes up even that much more. So I expect a really healthy aerial pie here and as i was alluding to at the top i expect jamar chase jamar chase to get that biggest slice by a long shot here and that's probably different than a lot of projections out there 175 targets a 28 percent share compared to 20 percent share and 125 for t for whatever reason that narrative still seems to be out there that this is a 1a 1b situation and we've really seen that flip uh over the second half of last year and really become much more of the Jamar Chase. In fact, if you look at their games together, their last nine full games together, uh, they they really only played nine together last year because of that those injury concerns. Chase was on pace for 172 targets, 1,400 yards, and 13 touchdowns versus 130 targets for Higgins, 1,100 yards, and nine and a half touchdowns. So you know, over 40 more. That's kind of what I'm projecting here. And T lately, I was actually kind of surprised. I do love T Higgins. I think he's an absolute beast. I think mean, he could be the wide receiver one on so many teams. But if you go down here, instead of Chase, let me go to uh, T. Higgins. And Chase last year did average 27% target share. So this is not – I don't know why it's still that narrative, but he, he was already a beast in terms of inheriting that. But you look at um, T. Higgins, and it really hasn't – you know, look at these targets, 110, 107, 109, you know, 1,000-ish yards, seven, six touchdowns. Like it, He's missed some time, and that's part of this too. But I, I don't know that it's that outlandish. It's not like he's been that – crazy crazy good 
in Jamar Chase's shadow these last couple seasons. So as much as I like T. Higgins and, and really respect the player, he's right now going at top around two where you can still sometimes get Derrick Henry, Tony Pollard, some of these freakish workhorse backs. So I just haven't ended up with much of T. Higgins. Certainly could be uh, a number two receiver in real life. That's a number one on your fantasy team. But I give me give me Jalen Waddle in that type of situation. I was going to ask you that question. To me, yeah. the obvious comp is Waddle and Higgins. I mean, they 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 seem to be the guys that jump off the page to me as uh, number twos, mm-hmm. clear number twos, admittedly, on their teams who could be number ones and maybe number one anchoring a fantasy team. You like Waddle more than Higgins. Yes, I do. Yeah, I just think more explosive playmaker. Uh, less tapped of a ceiling, in my opinion. Like, yes, Tyreek Hill is going to cap that ceiling, but I, I feel like just that offense is so much through those two players that not even a semblance of a running game, whereas Joe Mixon is going to eat up some work, and we're about to get to him in a second, that it's it's more people nibbling at Higgins' cheese than there is at Waddle, and I just overall like the pace and the the, the style of play. For if if, if Tua gets concussed in the first month of the season, do you like Higgins more than Waddle? <laughs> and that's a really good point, too. That's a little bit more risk is mixed into Waddle, uh, who's smaller himself, who has a little bit of a, an injury risk in that sense, and, and, of course, tied to his quarterback that has a big injury. So as long as you're okay stomaching extra risks, uh, I yeah. don't think Waddle's still yeah. to play. But, of course, if Tua gets knocked out, no. Well, yeah, that's a huge hit for everybody in that offense, and especially Jalen Waddle. So it's a really good point. Like if you right. if you want to play it safer, T. Higgins definitely has a little bit of a higher floor uh, given that. Absolutely. Fair enough. All right. I guess that's Go a good on, sorry. Um, no, no, that's a really good point to bring up. Uh, no apologies needed. But other than that, at, at wide receiver three, you know, Boyd does his thing, but – to me, he gets overdrafted. He goes round yeah. eight, round nine. I've seen often before James Conner, who has the potential to be a workhorse back. I know we should be comparing some the, the wide receivers going there, but that's kind of why I like to rate on running backs because you could talk about how some of these guys fall. And there's just not a ton of value. There's not a ton of ceiling here. Of course, there's that handcuff with benefits type of upside to him. If, if Higgins or Chase goes down, then yeah, he does become a really, really significant fantasy cog, but I'm not often drafting handcuff receivers in round eight, nine range in no. hopes that something happens. No, especially with Irv Smith added here too. Uh, I think he's going to be a much bigger mouth to feed than Hayden Hurst ever was. He's a better athlete. And that's assuming he's healthy, which is the biggest assumption you can possibly make with Irv Smith because he hasn't made it through a full season since right. uh, four years ago. So big if, but early camp reports him thriving, looking great, fitting in with his team. Burrow loves him. He's, very attention to the details, where he's supposed to be. So I think a nice 75 targets uh, right in line with what Hayden Hurst got. I just think he could do a little bit more with maybe another touchdown, a few more yards per reception than Hayden Hurst. Uh, the tight end role has been fairly featured. I can scroll down here and just show you. It's you know 13 to 15% target share these last few years. And they've had nobody to really throw to, 14, 12, 12. 12, 13, 18. So, I mean, it, it's worked out pretty okay. And that's with, again, those big mouths to feed around him. So, you know, 12% target share, 75 targets, and some decent production on it. As long as he stays healthy, I see that for Irv Smith. But similar, because that risk of the injury is there, and there's like Higby's going in his same range and things of that nature, I just don't have a lot of Irv Smith, despite liking the player, liking his situation, worried about the injury risk, though. So there's definitely some higher target upside uh, around him that I haven't gotten a lot of Irv Smith myself um this all leaves us with the backfield <laughs> we talked about the aerial yeah, been leading up to this backfield you've been you've been hyping Mixon like crazy I've, I've heard you say like this guy is top five upside absolutely i mean okay. we've seen it, it to me. pretty much his entire career i actually think 
that Joe Mixon is the single best, maybe overall fantasy pick, certainly at the running back position right now, best value that you can make uh, in fantasy football, falling to round five right now in fantasy drafts. And honestly, none of it makes sense to me. He's been the running back six, six and 11 his past three years. He's never been outside his top 12, but other than injuries uh, in his career. And now Samaj P. Ryan is gone. And, you know, yes, Mixon already was doing damn solid work with Samaj P. Ryan there, but we're talking about 51 targets, 20th most among running backs for Samaj. We're talking about, you know, 38% of the snaps, 32% of the total opportunities, 23 red zone touches went to Samaj P. Ryan. Uh, th- this is a pretty big departure that they, they drafted Chase Brown in round five. That's no guarantee by any means. Chris Evans has been a useless piece of shit like his entire career. So this might be the, the true and only Joe Mixon show. Maybe Brown, I actually factored Brown in a little bit into these projections, but I think there's, you know, we've seen Mixon shoulder 75% of the work multiple times in his career. So 66% honestly doesn't seem even that crazy. So we're talking about 268 carries in one of the best offenses in the NFL behind their best line yet. And yeah, Mixon, he's been pretty inefficient around 3.8 to 4.2 yards per carry. So I didn't go overboard and say, now he's going to suddenly run for 4.7 because of the line. But that is a possibility. Maybe the line does make it that much better. And then even here, 75 targets. That's what he got last year with Samaj P. Ryan there. So I'm just kind of projecting him pretty similar to the work. There's a chance that both of those things, the total carries and the targets, go up significantly, uh, given especially because it seems like it might be his last year there. Let's ride him out. Let's see what happens here uh, and just kind of throw that there. So you're talking about a back that's looking at 320-ish total opportunities behind the best line he's ever seen within uh, one of the best offenses in the NFL, falling to round five. He's got a proven track record of consistently producing for you in every facet of the game. I think that, you know, he obviously had those offseason concerns where there was the assault and there's, you know, the, the rumors that he was going to get released. That all has gone away at this point. There is the very, very slight chance he might, he has to take a pay cut. And if he doesn't, they might cut him. But I, I think at worst case that you, they have nothing behind him. So they'd really have to go for Zeke. I don't even know what they would go for. So I don't expect him to get cut. Obviously we'll reevaluate if that happens. And if he doesn't, I, I think this is his best situation of his career. Even if he isn't that talented at this point or doesn't that all that efficient with the work he gets, I don't think it will matter. I think he's going to absolutely blow his ADP out of the water. I expect it to rise by the time draft season's coming along, but until it does, there's a reason I've been hammering these drafts so hard. It's honestly to try to chase Joe Mixon in that pick 50 to 55 range. A no-brainer. I absolutely love his value right now. Who do you like more, Ramondre or Mixon? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, in a vacuum, it's it's probably Ramondre as the more exciting, younger, more efficient player and an offense that I think is going to ascend, but uh, certainly with the three round discount, I like Joe Mixon. I have a lot more of Joe Mixon. And it wouldn't surprise me in any situation if Joe Mixon outscored Ramondre Stevenson. He outscored last year and now is in a better situation this year. And Ramondre is probably going to be in a, a more of a committee situation with Montgomery and Pierre Strong stealing that receiving work. So, I mean, honestly, I, I probably think Mixon outscores him. I wonder who projects higher based on these numbers I've already done. Like we said, I'm going to hold off at looking at the con- you know, the aggregate con- projections once they're all done, and then we'll figure out where, where all the biggest surprises are. But they're, they're at least it's 
most people, if you ask them that question, would say, Ramondre, shut up. You are so stupid for even asking that question. Uh, the fact that, that I, I really think these two could be neck and neck, but one's going three rounds later, tells you all you need to know about my feelings for Mixon. I, I'm in love with him this year. And Absolutely. All right, we're going to hit the Browns now. Good stuff on the Bengals. Uh, yeah, going I, they're, they're a fun team. Do you think? That, I, I guess we're going to do our our breakdowns of where we ex- expect them all to finish at the end. But spoiler, I think the Bengals win the Super Bowl this year, and they finally get it done. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean that that is a spoiler. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, really I'll tell you my, thought, uh, I'll tell you my thoughts here. on them um, yeah. at the end of the show, like we did yesterday. <laughs> all right, let's talk uh, Browns. This, and I'm going to give you a spoiler here. I do not think that this team will win the Super Bowl. No. Um, the true Spoiler. top take of the show. Um, you know, obviously, you know, my my summation of this team, and obviously the Wolf is going to give you uh, far more details than this, is basically um, if Deshaun Watson is awesome, then this team could be really good. And if he's not, and I don't think he will be, I don't think they're going to be too good. So um, why don't you dive into that a little deeper? Give the give the people some real analysis, Wolf. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really have to be much deeper than that. If This is the Deshaun Watson we saw at the end of last year. This team is going to suck beyond all belief, and there's no reason to invest in really any of them. Even the running game, Nick Chubb took a big step back with Deshaun Watson at QB. I'm projecting them for kind of the middle where it's not like we get the Deshaun Watson of the Texans that was a top five superstar and you want to craft your entire team around but that he's not as bad as – remember, that was his first time playing football in like two years. So ideally he's had the full offseason. He can get his legs under him, uh, and we get a better Deshaun Watson, even if it is not the Deshaun Watson that we uh, are come to expect there in the Texans. So what do I think is going to happen, though, with the team level? This is actually a departure of what is typical for the Browns under Kevin Stefanski. 570 pass attempts, that would be the most he's had ever with the Browns, and he hasn't been under 500 rush attempts in over three years, I can kind of just show you guys real quick. It's been pretty much an exact 50-50 split for the Browns these last few years um, under Kevin Stefanski. Uh, you see that? Well, I guess uh, 570 pass attempts. They did get there last year pretty close at least, but 539, 535, 539, right in line with their, their rush attempts, as you can see. Pretty much always a, a 51-49, 50-50. Other than this one year, and I think this is the year – it will most resemble that 2019 um, Browns team. That wasn't Kevin Stefanski, but I think that's kind of what we're going to get because he's on the hot seat. The team's on the hot seat for this acquisition. So I have a meeting kind of in the middle, 54% pass, 46% rush, as they try to prove this was not stupid of us to invest in Deshaun Watson. I think they'll be fighting a losing battle in that argument, but either way, they will be making that argument nonetheless. Um, so Deshaun Watson... I really, you know what, let's start with Nick Chubb because he's honestly the most important piece here. He's the one you're drafting in round one, two, uh, and, and he's the, pa- the part of that has some real value. There are some receivers, Amari Cooper, maybe Elijah Moore, and, and maybe Deshaun Watson, if he rebounds, could have some value here too. But Chubb is definitely the centerpiece. So we'll go to the backfield first. I think without Kareem Hunt, this could absolutely be the Nick Chubb show. We have seen in the past when Hunt was either suspended or hurt, Stefanski wasn't opposed to riding just Chubb. He's averaged 18.3 points per game in his career without Hunt as compared to 15.8 with Hunt. So he's really good either way, but a nice three-point-per-game boost 
That's no slouch. And that's largely because he goes to three targets per game instead of under two targets per game. Big receiving boost comes in with him. A nice touchdown boost as well. Because you can think of it as a Chubb owner. How many times you're like, what the fuck is Kareem Hunt doing in here? Getting stuffed twice in a row and finally getting a third chance and putting it in. We've seen that happen too many times. So I'm assuming that a lot more carries at the goal line are going to go to Nick Chubb. And we're not going to deal with that annoying vulture situation but hey maybe they'll put Jerome Ford in there we'll find out but even in his career so in those splits without Kareem Hunt he's been on pace for 311 carries across his whole career and then if you look at that 2019 season I was alluding to where it was kind of that that backfield centerpiece he averaged he was on pace for 342 uh or rather 327 carries there uh, in over 53 catches, 68 targets, 19.68 points per game for Nick Chubb in that 2019 season, which is, again, what I think this team makeup is mostly like. He was on pace for a monster season that year. So I do think we've seen that before with Stefanski. When Hunt's gone, he doesn't – he's not afraid at all to ride Chubb. It doesn't have to be like I have to find my next Kareem Hunt and make this a, a 60-40 backfield like I always do. He is not opposed at all. Chubb saw 75% of the work in that 2019 season. And that's kind of what I expect uh, this year. I only have him at 60% right now because I do think Watson comes in and takes a few carries. He has historically averaged right around 90 per season. So I have him a little bit under his average with them leaning on Hunt. I do think Jerome Fort, a solid player. I give him 22% of the carries and certainly uh, one of the ultimate handcuffs with benefits. We've seen the running back two, running back three, even of the, the uh, um, Browns have some real value given how great of a blocking scheme this is. Chubb's never been below five yards a carry, though. So if this holds the 297 carries, that's going to be the most I think he's ever seen. Uh, Maybe that 2019 he got up there. Hold on. Let me uh, let me just pull up Nick Chubb real quick. I had this noted down, but I forgot what I wrote. So, uh, yeah. So he had 302 last year. So honestly, uh, I got to I got to bump that number up a bit because I don't think he's going to see any less than he saw last year. 228, 208, and then that 298 the season I keep kind of going to as the one that I'm expecting. But if he had 302 last year, even with Hunt around, I imagine that number could even go up. Maybe I'm being a little too conservative uh, at the 60%. Should we just bump it up right now and kind of see what it does to the totals? Bump it. All right. Let's let's say it's even only just only just 2%. And then we take uh, 2% away from Jerome Ford because really, why would you give Jerome Ford, you know, more carries than you have to when you have Nick Chubb? So we get the 307, career high in carries. Uh, that would bump him up if he maintains that five yards of carry, which he has every single year of his career. 1,535, 15 touchdowns. In addition to the big thing for, for him, again, is that boost in receiving work. Remember, he was on pace for 68 targets. I have a, a pretty conservative estimate in that sense with only 51 here. Uh, Holland in 38 of them for 319 and two. You saw last year, that last game of the season, he led the team in targets with six, caught five of them for 40 and a score. You know, good stuff from him. He's a good receiver. He is not, it, it's not a lack of ability. It's just been a lack of usage. And I think this is the year they don't have much of a choice. Ford is a good receiver too. So I don't think it's just everything goes to Chubb, you know, 34 to, to Ford and 208 and one. Ford, in a sense, pretty useful just on his own, but certainly that handcuff with benefits makes him a great pick in that round. He's going right now. He's, I was getting in the last round for so many drafts early in the offseason. Now he's ultimately bumped up to like 150 range. And I still kind of, if I am a running back needy team, I still like him at that price. You know, he goes around a lot of the Chicago backup backs, and that situation is a lot more hideous to me. I Give me the, the great backup situation 
here uh, with Cleveland. We've seen it work out time and time again. So it all comes to Chubb. You know, he's the main guy, and, and clearly I think he benefits greatly. Kareem Hunt could still join this team, theoretically, uh, as an unsigned free agent. There's rumblings that he might come back. And I think at this point, the fact that he's lingered out there as long as he is and they, they haven't like made sure to go get him, even if he does come back, yeah, it'll take a little bit of ding on Nick Chubb, but I, I think it might be more so, you know, whereas this is 62-20, it might be like 58-30 type of situation, you know. Uh, I don't think it would be a huge, huge um, detriment to him. Um, but now we got to talk about the aerial pie here, the Deshaun Watson. W- what's he going to carve up? And obviously, like I said at the top, I, I think he does rebound pretty decently when he gets up to 4,428 yards, 31 touchdowns. I think a lot of that's also because Elijah Moore. I've always been a big Moore fan. He really hasn't done much to justify my faith in him. Uh, but he also has been so terribly misused, similar to Garrett Wilson. Those stats uh, with him without Zach Wilson, huge bumps, you know, plus five fantasy points per game without Zach Wilson in there. So I do think he's been really shackled by his quarterback situation. And maybe he is again. Maybe Watson blows yeah. under, under that camp. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I think. Ultimately, Amari Cooper, he walked into 26% target share last year. He saw 130, I think 125 at 22%. So a nice drop in in terms of adjusting for Elijah Moore being here, but the volume being still pretty similar because I expect the aerial pie to be big. A little bit down down swing in yards, but not much. Over 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns, a really solid wide receiver too. Also going though, you know, late round three where you can get Keenan Allen, you can get DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Watson. I often go those guys over Amari Cooper. So another guy that I like, and there's not much against him. I just don't have a lot of, because I like a lot of guys going around him. I have been getting a decent amount of Elijah Moore. He's another one that goes a little bit before Tyler Boyd, but not like, not a crazy amount ahead of Tyler Boyd, like seven to eight picks. I think he's a whole you know, two three tiers above Tyler Boyd and potential. I agree. Yeah. Did you say you agree with that? Sorry. I, heard yeah, that. I, I agree. Um, yeah. My son's dribbling a basketball right above where I'm recording. So <laughs> you hear like what sounds like uh, construction work being done. It's not, it's, it's on one end I'm proud of him for practicing. And on the other end, like it's a large house and he's picked the spot that is <laughs> the one him. spot that is directly above you. Love uh, it. Yes, no. I was saying that I like Elijah Moore a lot more than Tyler Boyd. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I've got a saw going on uh, underneath here as my landlord does some construction on the apartment underneath. So, so we, we both have the noises. Well, going one on of here. the, um, you know, perils of recording like in the middle of the day instead of at night. I guess. <laughs> exactly. Right. Definitely some more potential distractions. Uh, but I do like Elijah Moore, all the reports in early camp, he's moving in, Side, he's moving outside. He's he's been the hot, heaviest targeted receiver. So maybe these splits between him and Cooper get even that much more close. And that's why it's that much smarter to invest in more four rounds later than it is Cooper at his current price tag. Uh, he is a he's a great practice player. We've seen these reports out of the Jets camp where he's the next Antonio Brown and every catch in the world he can make. And it just hasn't translated consistently to Sundays, but it also has translated when Zach Wilson's not a quarterback. So I have some hope for Elijah Moore. I certainly don't mind him at that eight nine you know price tag here, going for eight ninety eight five touchdowns. Shorter guy, but he has an upside you know, to win in the the stripe too. So maybe a little low on the projections. I do think this does have a big impact on Donovan Peoples Jones. I think it kind of thrusts him back down to that like one trick pony spread. Your guy, yeah, yeah. Last year, my my boy, he actually ended up being pretty useful in best ball too uh, on a, a steadier target share. Uh, but I think this this year he definitely does not see that you know, right around 90 targets. 
Charles drops about 25 or so, but has himself an okay, a few big boom games with Deshaun Watson. Last time he was out, he was the best deep passer in the NFL according to PFF. So he can sling it deep when he's healthy and right again, again, and again. Very big risk to, to buy in that Deshaun Watson is 100% and back and ready to go. I do think Njoku as well takes a little bit of a hit in terms of the tar- target share. Uh, he was at 19% target share last year. I bumped him down to 14, but again, with that increase in total volume, and the size of the pie that I'm projecting, right around what he had last year in terms of targets, a little bit less uh, overall usage near the stripe and overall efficiency because the other receivers get a little more love. But an okay season from David Njoku just doesn't separate much from, say, Mike Gusecki, who we talked about last last time. Uh, and Mike Gusecki goes eight rounds later at the, the last round of drafts. So I think Njoku's significantly overdrafted where he's going right around Elijah Moore. Give me, give me more significantly more upside. I don't I don't like the tight ends going in that range. Uh, and I don't really like Njoku at his price tag at all. Um, I guess that wraps up the Browns aerial pie. Did you hear anything you you loved or disagreed with or no, I mean I am surprised. I mean you you know where guys are going um, just generally speaking in like the other people's rankings more than I do. I, I was surprised surprised to hear how high Amari Cooper is going. Actually, and, uh, you know, when I think about who's available, I guess it's not that surprising. I reflexively do not think of him as being that productive, though the projections you have for him are decent numbers. I mean, that's, but you know, I'd say uh, T. Higgins are higher, right? Who do you like better, T. Higgins or Amari Cooper? I'd rather have T, but uh, Higgins, uh, Cooper did outscore him last year. Uh, He had, I mean, he had 132 targets, 78, 1160 and nine last year. I mean, that's, that's a real season. I mean, that's kind of in my head. I had him doing less than that. Maybe it's just because I, I just thought the Browns sucked so much that I just kind of wrote off any, anybody other than Nick Chubb. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are, that's, those are legitimate numbers. So uh, I guess that's probably my biggest takeaway is I, I think that maybe I should be paying a little more attention to Cooper um, than I have been. A lot of those numbers, I talked about this on the uh, the receiver show as well, and I can, uh, I'll can i swing back down to that. I have the, it pulled up here. A lot of those numbers did come with Brissett and not uh, yeah. not yeah. Deshaun Watson, and uh, that that's pretty much true. Everybody in the offense was better with Brissett last year uh, as compared. There's no, there not a single player that benefited and saw their totals go up with Man, Watson. Man, that is really something. I mean – the amount they're paying him, I mean, come on, right? Well, um, if, you, if, if, if you're going to compare Deshaun Watson to a meal, what meal would it be? I mean, what what type of thing, like, ruins everything else around it? I mean, Something expensive that, like, that you don't even really enjoy. Caviar? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, caviar like, good? I've never even eaten caviar, but, like, I feel like if, like, all the little fish stuff mixed into my steak, I'd be like, ugh, come on. Yeah, ruined like, oh, yeah, hey, the, the good news is now your steak costs $50 more than it would have. Yeah, but, exactly. And uh, it doesn't taste as good, but you have to pay a lot of money for it. So. You, just know, you know what it is? You know what else? You know, he could be, like, like an endangered animal, like, where you're kind of, like, you feel like a bad person eating it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true too. Because like, it's like a feeling wrapped again. Like you like, don't want to eat it, but and like you don't end up liking it that much after you've eaten it too. You're just like, I, I didn't really like that, and I probably shouldn't have done that. I, yeah, I'm trying to think of what yeah. that would be, but yeah, it's a good comparison. Something, something you're really not supposed to be. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, yeah. I just I, I, that's been on my mind. 
Not fair, but yeah. So Cooper averaged 16.2 points per game with Brissett, 11.6 with uh, Deshaun Watson. So significant jump down with uh, with Watson at QB. He goes from 1,224 yard pace to 10, you know, 1,043, 11 touchdown pace to six touchdowns, 88 catches to 60. It, it was a uh, definitely big hit to him. You got to imagine they work it out and get themselves together. But again, what if? But if these two just don't really gel and Elijah Moore just has the better rapport, just another reason why I just I, – I like Cooper the player, like what he did last year. Not a guy I'm drafting ahead of, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Watson, no. Debo Samuel he's going ahead of. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I, I'm not into that. Okay. So. All right, let's wrap up this division with the Steelers. And, you know, I, I described the Steelers. I don't remember if we were on air yet or if it was before we went on the air. I described them as boring. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm going to stand by that unless you can convince me otherwise. I don't <laughs> I don't have a compelling argument for that. I can, Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember your, your response to me saying that. You're like, well, Najee could uh, bounce back. And I was like, that's not exciting. No. Right, exactly. Uh, and that's definitely the main featured point of this op- offense is Najee, and it's not going to be exciting, but it's it's easy to forget because he was a first-rounder last year, one of the biggest busts in fantasy. He had that Liz Frank injury right as the season was starting, which is a brutal injury. He was able to gut it out, uh, but it definitely took a toll on his volume, took a toll on his efficiency, which already wasn't great. But just two years ago as a rookie, he was the running back three in fantasy. Uh, He saw over 400 total opportunities as a rookie. And already in camp, they're talking about how much faster he looks. He looks fully healthy finally. He shed some weight. You know, best life of his – best shape of his career. We always get those reports this time of the year. But just the fact – rather than just caring about the fact that he's slimmed down, I care about the fact that he's healthy and looking like he's regained that burst, if not taken that – burst to another level uh which okay. is important to me because if he's fully healthy uh i think we just start with him we can get into the aerial yeah. pie you know the no. team level i get we'll do that real quick so team level wise i'm expecting a, another this division is kind of all over the place in terms of going against historical trends but if you look at this the steelers have never been this close in terms of run pass ratio 565 attempts five for the pass 522 for the rush uh, we can go down here at the team level. This would be a significant departure from a much pass happier team uh, historically. So when that pulls up, oh, here it is. Uh, so, you know, 65-35, 62-38. But then we saw last year, Matt Canada finally got took over the offense, who I think is a complete and utter moron, but he wanted to run the ball more, and he started to, 54-46. And I think he leans into that even more this year. It'd be the first year in three seasons that they'd be under 600 pass attempts, but they all, all they keep talking about is how they want to run the ball. They're making it no damn secret, uh, and that's what they want to do this year. So I expect them to – they've always been above league average in terms of total plays. I expect that to continue to be the trend, just a big bump in rush attempts, a slight bump down there in total pass attempts. And that, of course, benefits Najee Harris, who at 60% of the work would get over 313 carries. And 60% of the work for a Mike Tomlin running back would actually be a significant downgrade from what he typically does. As you can see here, these two seasons, 2019 and 2020, were injuries for James Conner. He, before getting hurt, was seeing right alongside the 75 or so percent of the work. So 86, 79, 76, 75% was Najee Harris just two seasons ago. And and James Conner would have been well above that level had he stayed healthy in either of those two seasons. So Mike Tomlin loves to ride his horses. It's made that one of the best positions 
to invest in in all of fantasy. In fact, if you take out those injury uh, injury ruined Connor seasons, his last uh, six starting running backs. So Le'Veon Bell, D'Angelo Williams for a season, and then James Connor when he actually stayed healthy, and then you also mix in Najee Harris's rookie year. They've averaged 24 opportunities per game, which is insane. 23 fantasy points per game, which is also insane. On average, a Tomlin-led running back like Workhorse, his fantasy average points, those 23, would be the average running back two and a half on any given season. None have finished with worse than 21.9 opportunities or 18 and a half fantasy points per game. None have been lower than the running back six in fantasy. And when Najee was healthy, it was more of the same. He was less efficient than Bell. He was less efficient than D'Angelo Williams back in the day, if you remember him. Yeah, uh, you remember that? that when, you know, Le'Veon Bell got hurt and then bam. And then Le'Veon Bell doesn't play and Connor comes in. It's just a role that's made for a workhorse. Connor himself, Tomlin's come out and said, I'm a featured runner kind of guy. I like to have one guy that the team rallies around. And Jalen Warren it looked really good last year. I like Jalen Warren. He beat uh, Najee Harris in pretty much any efficiency metric you want to look at. Uh, but I also know Mike Tomlin loves his workhorses. So typically this number should be 75%. If you do that, then this would be like 375 to 400 carries. That's not going to happen. But I think 300 plus carries with, you know, back to around 70-ish targets, remember 90 as a rookie, that is all very viable with Najee Harris being healthy. Now, is that going to be all that exciting given how inefficient he is? I mean, 1,252 yards, eight touchdowns on four yards of pop, 53 catches. I bet you he's going to be one of those guys, like when the aggregate comes out, he's my running back like six. Yeah. He's falling around three and four right now. Yeah, if he just continues yeah. to get that workhorse role by Mike Tomlin that history has always suggested he's going to do. And this does you know, give a decent amount to Jalen Warren. The, the early reports are Mike Tomlin's not going to be able to keep Jalen Warren off the field given how jacked he is and how hard he's hitting the hole when you don't have the pads on or whatever. What's that matter? I don't know. He is right. good. Though. I like Jalen Warren. I think he's a good player. So even I can imagine could have this monster workload and still save some decent scraps, you know, 170-ish touches for Jalen Warren as well. And, and I think Jalen Warren so much more efficient can do some decent damage. So he's another one of those, even more so than Jerome Ford, a, a ultimate handcuff with benefits really, really like Jalen Warren. So uh, at their prices, I do really like Najee Harris late third, early fourth with this projection. I, I think he would blow that out of the water. And then Jalen Warren goes around 140 to 150 range, a great investment there for the backfield. And I definitely think that's the biggest talking points because the aerial pie, especially if it's as low as I'm projecting here with only 550 attempts, a uh, departure from Mike Tomlin, you can see it right here with Kenny Pickett, you know, 3,500 yards, 25 touchdowns, not the healthiest aerial pie. I've seen a lot of reports, a lot of people out there projecting Pickett to be that next take the step and big fantasy breakout guy. And, and clearly I'm not buying into it. I, I, I don't mind Pickett. I think he has some decent moxie and I like the way he plays. But if they're going to be reining him in, which uh, I don't think they have to, I don't think they should be, but they keep talking about how they want to run the ball, play into their defense. Uh, that, that's why the other thing I should have mentioned with Najee and Jalen Warren, why I bumped up his efficiency a little bit, the line improvements they made this year cannot be overlooked. Uh, first round investment, big left tackle coming out of um, Georgia. was it Derek? I think Derek. Jones, I forgot. Oh, yeah. uh, either way, absolute mauler beast. They took uh, an Eagle starting guard, made him one of the highest paid guards of free agency. Big beast guy. Uh, they had a, a second round early investment last year. They, they've really, the way this line, similar to the Bengals, in the last two to three years, you can't overstate how big of a turnaround these guys could potentially have, which would be huge. 
because uh, Najee was just running into brick wall after brick wall his rookie year while still finishing as the running back three. So if he's leaned down and more efficient behind a better line and see similar rookie year volume, I think he's going to be – I really like him in that late third, early fourth. Uh, but, yeah, just kind of bones to, to – I, I did not think that you were going to get me even borderline excited about Najee. And here I am kind of like now thinking, maybe do I, do I want to run this back with Najee? Yeah. Did, I, I mean, did I, you had have... some, I had some Najee stock last year and it tanked. Yeah. See, I, I think because I, I largely avoided Najee, I, I always went to too, And I still somehow ended up with him. Just oh, like man. Leonard Fournette, who I had no intention of drafting, and he just ended up on like two of my three teams. Yeah, I had no oh, idea. It was like I blacked out while I was drafting. And then you just ended up with him somehow. Who yeah, knows twice. Why? Twice. Yeah. I was like, well, I won't do that again. And then I just all of a sudden had him again. And then Najee's on your feet. <laughs> yeah, so maybe you'd be a little less excited because I avoided him last year, so it was kind of easy to just uh, like put the blinders on and not look at the shit. I really do think it was injury ridden because by the by the end of last year, actually week. I think it was week nine on week seven, week eight, week seven. It was week seven. After that point on, Najee was the running back five in fantasy. He was a top five guy. He seemed to finally kind of be pushing through and feel better about the foot. And he was back to his top five status, even with lesser volume than what he had been getting as a rookie. So I think Najee is one of the better picks you can make. I'm, in that I'm, I'm intrigued. Here I am. Yeah. Uh, like truth. We started the other draft. I remember our last big best ball. We went, St. Brown, Devontae Adams, if I'm not mistaken, at the uh, the 12-13 turn. We're right there mean? at the bottom. I, I don't know if Najee fell to us or not, but nowadays if I'd start with receiver, receiver, and I often do you know, Christian Watson, Debo Samuel, whoever it might be, round three, then I'm getting Najee Harris, who I really think could be back to that first-round levels. Then you're looking at the Cam Akers, the, the James Connors in those you know, round seven, eight kind of turn. Um, I, Damian Pierce, round six, if Mixon somehow falls here round five. You can make some really good backfields even with a three wide receiver start because Najee Harris does have that top five ceiling in that range. I think he's definitely somebody I'm looking much, much harder at. Uh, and I think these projections are going to make me start going in even more uh, after statting these out. But, you know, just to wrap them up, there's not a whole ton that I love with this passing game. Clearly, I projected a pretty low aerial pie in terms of volume, in terms of overall production. I do think Deontay Johnson, you know, the the Tomlin ace, which is usually like that Antonio Brown kind of plays a lot of slot, moves it all over. Deontay's been doing a, a fairly admirable job of that. Uh, and you can even see how just beneficial that role has been. 29, 31, 23, 29, 27% target share, like really, really gets peppered there. But man, was it ugly last year. Uh, he was one of the only players that did not benefit from Kenny Pickett coming in. Um, and I'll just kind of read you some of those splits real quick. In four games with Mitch Trubisky, Deontay was averaging 15.6 points per game. In 13 games with Kenny Pickett, he averaged nine points per game. You know, over six and a half point drop uh, in his fantasy points per game. And it wasn't even a volume drop. It was a little bit of a volume drop. I mean, he was actually, this is crazy. He was on pace for 183 targets, 10.75 per game with Mitch, down to eight targets per game, 136 targets with uh, Kenny Pickett, which still you know, definitely a drop, but 136 targets is pretty good. He was so bad with those 136 target pace, 769 yard pace, no touchdown scored uh, actually all season. He didn't score a single touchdown, but with either quarterback, uh, 13 games with Pickett, not a single touchdown. 
scored there. Uh, so yeah, of course that'll bounce back and his points will definitely take a decent spike up with even four or five touchdowns, which I think he will score historically in his career. He, he's a, not a huge guy. He's not a huge goal line threat, but uh, you know, we can look real quick at, I imagine he's not as bad as that. Yeah. Eight, seven and five, you know, not bad at the goal line by any means. And I've always liked Deontay. I think he's a, a nice player, but for whatever reason, him and, and Pickett could not get on the same page. So even with 130 targets, uh, even in this juicy role, I don't have him producing for all that much. I, in fact, I actually have George Pickens with less volume, 102 targets, certainly less catches, 60 catches going for just about as many yards, 834. But I like that big body. I think, you know, George Pickens, six touchdowns. Very, very reasonable. A lot of the talk in early camp is he doesn't even know how good he is and what he's about to do this season because of how just monstrous he looks in year two and how much more comfortable he is. And Pickens just kind of has that it, that dog factor. Like, I, I really like George Pickens. Um, so if any receiver is going to you know, blow up here, I think it's Pickens and not Deontay Johnson. Deontay goes a little bit earlier in drafts. They go similar round, but you know, Deontay at the top of seven, whereas Pickens goes you know towards the, the mid to late round seven. I, I like Pickens, honestly, and certainly with the, the um, discount baked in, uh, you don't give a shit about Allen Robinson or Des Fitzpatrick, even though, I love of that course. Allen Robinson. I love that he's now the wide receiver three. In a, in, yeah, in all the camp hype, dude. Uh, crushing it in red zone drills. Oh, have they been saying that? Uh, have they been saying God. that? Yes, of course they have. Oh, they can go fuck off. Uh, they really can, right? Sit on a fist, please. Uh, it's It's just horrible. Like, and this is going to be the year we finally get out on him, right? Like after back-to-back years of him just pulling our pants down and making us look like complete douchebags, this is going to be the year he does end up taking over the big slot and, and regains his athleticism and goes for, you know, the 1113 touchdown Allen Robinson season. We've That'll make been. me hate him even more. Oh, I will, I will fucking find him and spit on his face if that happens. <laughs> I will find a way to spit on Allen Robinson's face if he crosses a thousand yards. <laughs> Book it right now. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we'll, I will we'll take, we'll die, take, a, we'll take a, a business trip. Yeah. <laughs> I would, that'd be the last we'd see of the wolf because he would pound my face in the ground beef. But hey, uh, it'd be fun regardless. It'd be very cathartic. Uh, and then the last guy is Pat Fryer. Um, you know, I, I love Pat. I think he's a, a solid, just does it all, consistent, reliable. Uh, you know, 570 to 650 yards and six to eight touchdowns, solid. Will be that kind of – he averaged nine points a game last year, and that was good for tight end seven. That kind of just tells you how bad the position is. I do think, you know, Darnell Washington, monster, six foot six, you know, apparently using that big body in, in red zone deals coming in from Georgia. Uh, he's more of a blocker. They, they already said he's kind of like a, a second tackle along the line. So he's meant to be more of a run blocker, but that wouldn't shock me if like in goal line packages, Fryer moves subbed out and Darnell's at the end and they kind of run the play action stuff to him and, and the ceiling gets capped for Fryer moves touchdowns. I could see that, but maybe he also takes a step forward and run after the catch and just overall, he, he's a solid, just reliable guy, but he also goes right around David Njoku in that round, like nine, 10 range. And I just, that's where I like to take Daniel Jones and my quarterbacks, or there's still some good upside receivers that are often making their way uh, into that range that it's just him. He doesn't project any better than the guys that are going seven to eight rounds later, uh, not significantly enough to, to warrant that type of price gap. So to me, I don't have a lot of fryer move either. Uh, those rounds like nine to 10 tight ends with him and Najoku being in the same division. And part of this, you kind of just see like I, I had Gusecki again, projected for similar stats to both these guys. And he goes four rounds, five rounds later. Sometimes doesn't even get drafted type of thing. So, so yeah, I, I guess Najee Harris and then a bunch of unexciting pass catchers with maybe a huge breakout upside for George Pickens. 
is kind of how I summarize that I'm not buying the Deontay Johnson bounce back. Uh, unless I start seeing some real like great rapport between him and, and Kenny Pickett and reports that these guys are really putting in the time and effort to, it seemed like Deontay Johnson just didn't like Pickett. And then they just kind of just continued to fall off and off and off on the same. They just could never get on the same page. And I haven't seen any reports that they've tried to, to mend it and get better. So yeah, I, I don't know. A pretty unexciting team overall, but Najee, a great price at round three, four turn. And then Pickens, maybe some upside, but that that's really it for me. All right, so that's going to wrap up uh, uh, the AFC North. I think we got to end with our predictions for how the division is going to shake out. Um, you want to go first or you want me to go first? Yeah, uh, I'll go. I can go. That's fine. Um, okay. I, I think the Bengals, as they already kind of alluded to, I think they win the Super Bowl. So that does mean I think they win this division. I honestly think they might take the bye week and and win the whole AFC and then continue to ride that into the Super Bowl and finally get it done with Mr. Joe Cool. Um, I think the Ravens are going to take a good offensive step under Todd Munkin. I do like their offensive line, you know, top two in PFS grades, uh, and the trenches on the defensive side are always strong there. So I like the Ravens to come in second and get a wild card spot. Um, I think the Steelers come in third, but this is what's tricky about the AFC. Like the Steelers are probably going to be on uh, above 500. They always are under Mike Tomlin. I, I think they might finish nine and eight and miss the playoffs. That, that, you know, it's that competitive of an AFC. So I think we get like a, a, or it would be nine and eight. Yeah. 10 and seven for the Ravens coming in second, maybe a 14 and three for the Bengals. And then the Browns, a distant third. I mean, I could see four wins tops. Like I, I think they could suck. I, I'm not clearly. I wasn't buying like Deshaun Watson just sucks in as bad as we saw last year. Cause I projected them out. Okay. But I also don't think it's even everything around him, just not that good either. Even if he does take a step forward, it's not like he has much besides Chubb to work with. Uh, and certainly the defense is not good. So yeah, that, that's how I, I have him shaken out. What about you? Exactly the same way hey. uh, with the exception of, um, I'm, you know, I, I, I like the Bengals Super Bowl pick, but I feel like you've forgotten about Pat Mahomes. Oh, no. I mean, obviously, that's – I think we're going to constantly like, – every AFC championship, as, as it was like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady for so long, and we're going to get so many epic duels between those two. And Josh Allen's in the mix. I mean, the AFC's wild. Like, I mean, I would, I would pull for the Bengals in that, but it's just like – Of course. Mahomes is, you know – Screw the I, it's I very, know. very, very hard to to pick against that guy. I know Burrow does have a, a playoff win against him and everything, but man, that guy gets it done. Um, so it's hard no, I know what you're saying. It, it, um, I, yeah, I think he borrows the only quarterback to have a winning record against Mahomes. And the right and now. the Bills are a real bitch too. I mean, they are. The, the AFC is is a real beast. Um, and then you got you got the Chargers, like just kind of like lurking. Yeah, they I don't know man. anybody on any given Sunday. Uh, I'm not willing to commit to the Bengals as champions yet, but we do have the division. I, I mean, the, the exactly. ja- think about it. The Jags were a touchdown away. Like they they gave the Chiefs a real good game in the playoffs last yeah. year, and and that was their first year with Doug Peterson and and Trevor Lawrence. Only his second season, his first real season with an actual NFL coach. Like I can see the Jags being exciting. The, the AFC is fun this year. They are. It, it is exciting. You know, I mean, the whole we just talked about the whole thing, Miami, the, yeah. the, the Jets with all their question marks. I mean, I I mean it's, the, it's the Patriots. It's for the Patriots. It, you know, like you're watch. It's it's going to be a fun. I think the NFC Broncos, who I don't believe in at all, but we'll see. 
Yeah, that, that'll be a fun division. Maybe that's what we wrap up with. So we'll do the, the South tomorrow. We'll, we'll aim for 1230. I appreciate everybody that did still come live uh, with the, the half hour pushback. I know that kind of chopped some of you guys out and I apologize for that. Hopefully you're able to still catch the show. I just wanted to make sure my, my Steelers felt rushed at that point. I hadn't had a chance to really dive in and I'm glad I did because I realized a lot more about Najee Harris than I probably would have if I had to just kind of rush and, and not really get it done the right way. So thank you for those of you that, that put up with that. Thank you for those of you that either are live with us still or catching the replay, that thumbs up button as we wrap up here would be so greatly appreciated as would be any, any new subs. If you're new to the channel and want to make sure you don't miss anything, please do consider hitting that sub button and we'll be going live again tomorrow, 1230 ish AFC South and wrapping up uh, on Friday morning, or maybe, maybe we can double dip tomorrow. We'll find out what's better for your schedule truth uh, and figure out when we want to sneak in the rest of the AFC. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate you guys being here. All these productions will be live and updated throughout the summer on the rotorstreetjournal.com site. It will be one of the few things we do actually put behind a paywall. It's one of your ways to support your boy. Uh, if you don't mind, it's, it goes such a long way. So thanks again so much. The rankings, all that still free. Of course, it's at rotorstreetjournal.com. We breed and feed you fantasy wolves. I'm at Rotor Street Wolf. You can find me there. Ask any questions. The wolf of fancy sheep be the wolf guys. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Straight ahead. Devlin. Second down. Third effort. Touchdown. Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.